0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 184 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by Mark Baker to reflect on Liverpool's 2-0 win over Arsenal in the FA Cup.
1: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.
0: So, Liverpool have beaten Arsenal at the Emirates to advance to the fourth round of the FA Cup. The two teams actually hit the woodwork three times between them before the deadlock was broken here at Arsenal. Through Martin Odegaard, Liverpool through Trent Alexander Arnold and Diogo Jota. And then the breakthrough came in the 80th minute as Kiwi scored an own goal. And then deep into stoppage time, Luis Diaz on the counter attack to seal the progression for Liverpool, who will discover their opponents, the next opponents in this competition on Monday night. I think the draw is scheduled to happen after Manchester United play Wigan. And we'll begin, as we always do, with a three word match review. Um, I think we'll sort of we'll just get those before we get into performance in too much depth. I've gone with best win yet. It's the first time this season Liverpool have beaten a big six side. Um, obviously, they had that win against Newcastle, finished in the top four uh, last year, but um, they don't technically count as one of those big six. It always feels a little bit more satisfying when you're able to be one of those really established teams away from home. And Liverpool actually have a really good record against Arsenal away in recent years. Since Arsenal last won at Anfield in 2012, Liverpool have now won five times at the Emirates, which suggests that they are surprisingly comfortable going to that stadium, obviously, given the quality that that Arsenal have had um, down those years. And hopefully they can obviously continue that record when the two teams meet again in the Premier League in a few weeks' time. But anyway, I'll come to you now, Mark. Um, Your three-word summary of that, please, and just your general thoughts on that performance in Liverpool, because it was very much... Um, a big improvement in the second half. Yeah, I'd say um, excellent away win, Dave. Obviously, it's a difficult
1: draw for Liverpool. They're coming to come Arsenal. You never want to get that kind of draw in the early rounds of the FA Cup, especially with sort of this squad situation with Liverpool. They've got injuries at the moment. Other players away through through sort of other factors, and when that sort of tie is pulled out in amongst sort of um, the games against Fulham. In the, in the League Cup as well, it sort of like adds to that fixture list, but it also means that you're sort of limited in the amount of changes you can make to the team, because ultimately to be able to compete against Arsenal, you're going to need to put out pretty much as strong a side as you possibly can within the circumstances. So, you know, against other sides, potentially, obviously, you could have mixed and matched a little bit more. So I don't think it would have been greatly enamoured, Klopp, when it came out the draw. Struggled in the first half. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a struggle, especially for Liverpool to be able to build up the game away from home. We've mentioned this before. It's it's obviously a problem at, at times. And Arsenal are some of the best sort of most organised pressurers of the ball, which which we could see, and it caused Liverpool issues. Liverpool made changes in the second half, which then resulted in them having more security in the game and being able to to also cause Arsenal some problems, rather than sort of it being all one way and Liverpool creating their own problems in that first half. And then ultimately, in the second half, it was a much more balanced game, which Liverpool obviously ended up coming out on the right side of. And I think um, as the game wore on, the more you felt sort of Liverpool were were entering into the game, getting into better areas, and potentially could have could have nicked the game, which they ended up doing.
0: Yeah, and you know you mentioned there that Liverpool didn't really have the scope to make too many changes. I think what we saw with, with Virgil Van Dijk being out through illness was basically the best team Klopp thought that he could field for that match, whereas. You know, for example, Man City have played Huddersfield at home. Um, Chelsea have had Preston at home. You know, there's been a couple of uh, of big teams who've got much more favourable draws. And I think you would have seen a lot of those young players who were on the bench today in the starting lineup. in an ideal world. Obviously, if will people had faced one of those teams, we'll see what they get in the next round. But they did have to go virtually full strength. And that's what made, even without Mohamed Salah and, and Endo, that's what made the first half a bit worrying, really, to see kind of the golfing performance levels we've seen in the two sides. I mean, you mentioned that Liverpool couldn't play out that, that Arsenal were having all the chances. I mean, it was 13 shots against two in the first half. Arsenal had three big chances, obviously didn't score any of them. And you, you touched on it there, Liverpool not being able to build up. I mean, they really struggled to to get into Arsenal's half in a meaningful way, you know, let alone around the penalty area. And we have discussed this on previous podcasts. Was, was there anything today that, that was different in terms of that problem in your eyes? Or was it literally you're almost seeing the same things time and again?
1: Yeah, well, I, I always think it's uh, difficult to, to sort of fully understand when you're watching sort of on the telly. Obviously not having an overview of things. But I felt that Liverpool was sort of, it was very much that Alexander-Arnold has been coming in and field. But he did that less in the first half from what I could see anyway on the, on the screen. Liverpool were very much building up with sort of a back four. Arsenal were then going man for man with Odegaard jumping onto one of the centre-halves, which we've seen so many times. It's an old Manchester City trait that they use against Liverpool and the vast majority of teams. And then Alexis McAllister was being targeted sort of in that central midfield area. Um, what Liverpool really need then, is, well, what Liverpool aim to do, when all the top teams aim to do, is sort of try and play through the centre of the pitch, the quickest, most direct route to goal, and progress the ball. But Arsenal were uh, numerically just dominating Liverpool in that situation. I think, obviously, Liverpool have Gakpo playing in that situa- that, that area as well. And for me, the, the the sort of experiment with Gakpo playing in different positions, and especially midfield, I, I just don't see Gakpo as a midfield player. I think, I, funny enough, Arsenal are having a similar problem, and I think it's hindered their season in losing Granit Xhaka and putting Kai Abbott in there. These are players who play on the highest line of the pitch. They play... With pressure off one side or play with pressure from the back to goal. What they don't do, they're not adept at dropping into to, to lower areas. Not that they can't do it, but it doesn't come natural to them. And they also don't take up well-considered defensive positions when you haven't got the ball. But just focusing on, obviously, the Liverpool's, Liverpool's build-up in that sense, it seemed that Arsenal's man-for-man man sort of situation was, was totally stifling Liverpool. And I think one of the big things was Liverpool couldn't then bypass that. They were obviously missing Van Dijk. Which, when any pressure sort of comes to Liverpool in the build up, one of the great tools that Liverpool have is them diagonals from Van Dijk to be able to play over, especially when there's you know, organised pressure at the start of games when the opposition have got the most energy at the most organised. It's a great tool for Liverpool to be get to get out, and Liverpool couldn't do that today. They were also boxed into a certain side of the pitch because Joe Gomez is playing on that left hand side. Obviously, not a left-footed player, can't open his body to be able to play forward the vast majority of the time. I think we we even seen him caught on the ball by Saka, which resulted in a really good opportunity. Kwanzaa's good on the ball, but again, he's not a left-sided player and hasn't quite got the passing range, of course, of Van Dijk. So Arsenal's body position were very much shuffling Liverpool into that area rather than Alexander-Arnold's area, where Liverpool can can better progress the ball. And because Liverpool then didn't have the outlets in the wide areas in terms of having that sort of Verticality, that pace to be able to bypass with longer balls. Liverpool were essentially trying to play through the middle of the pitch, being numerically disadvantaged, and then having the ball stole off them. Really, um, we've seen that change obviously in the second half because what they did was they put Darwin Nunes to that left hand side. And I know that Nunes, doing Nunes, takes extra amounts of criticism from from many of the you know the, the pundits, fan bases, but they're totally missing the points. Liverpool's that Liverpool's basically nearly the majority of Liverpool's attacks is Alexander Arnold Find and Darwin Nunes. But not only is it in terms of creating chances, but also it's an outlet for Liverpool when they are under that organised pressure. So once Nunes moves to that left hand side, and Liverpool obviously. At that stage, Arsenal's legs and organisation probably isn't the same in that second half. Liverpool could then get Alexander-Arnold on the ball and look for them them piercing balls over the top to isolate Darwin Nunes against Ben White because he's so quick, because he's got such good verticality. And basically because defenders are scared in terms of him, him picking up possession in them higher areas, stretching the pitch. So that gave Liverpool an out ball. And what it did to it allowed Liverpool to generate a better sort of camping in the opposition half, be able to ring-fence them in and then create chances from there. So there was a lot more variety in how Liverpool did things. I also feel having Harvey Elliott in that midfield helped as well in the second half because he's a player who can take the ball in them central areas under pressure and play some really good progressive passes in the final third. Um, so I think the changes really helped in that sense, especially Darwin Nunes, though, because he was the outlet which allowed Liverpool to be able to have a higher on-field starting position.
0: Yeah, we obviously saw repeated diagonal passes um, from Trent out to Nunez, and a couple of them led to some promising attacking situations as well. That being that outlet, like you said, I mean, you know, I read out this stat before: thirteen shots against two in the first half. Um, it was ten shots against five in the second, in Liverpool's favour. Um, so they really did sort of address the balance in that period. And one thing I would say in terms of like, obviously, it was really frustrating to watch Liverpool surrender possession so much in in their own final third. And struggled to build attacks themselves. I think from start to finish in that game, Liverpool's last ditch defending was brilliant. You know, the they were obviously giving Arsenal very high quality chances with the mistakes they made, but I think from that point onwards, they were doing absolutely everything they could to keep the ball out the net. You know, there was, you know, we saw for example a really good block I think from Canate on Nelson, um, and even at the end of the game as well. I think really sort of almost defend not even their penalty area, that six yard box. I think they did that really well and and that's maybe something that's helped to redeem some of the errors that they made. Um, And what will be interesting is, you know, obviously the the next meeting between the two teams is, I think, the 4th of February. The odds are Mohamed Salah won't be back for that. Endo might be. I I don't know. Again, I think Japan are probably going to go quite far in uh, the Asian Cup. Um, Van Dijk will probably be back in the team. Maybe, you know, Sabah lies in there. Perhaps you know grabbing Birch and Jota, but for the most part, it'll be a, a pretty similar side. So it'll be interesting to see how because if you are Arteta, you're probably going to try and almost do the exact same thing again. But it'll be just to see how you know the change in the composition of Liverpool lineup affects how that particular game plays out because you know there's definitely an interesting tactical element of, of three te- of two teams sorry playing each other in three times in the space of about six weeks and how you know what each manager can take. Because I suppose it's Liverpool who have kind of the tactical momentum in that regard going into the game at the uh, at the Emirates again at the start of February, which is obviously going to be a crucial one for Liverpool in the Premier League and for Arsenal as well in terms of keeping their title chances alive, you would have to say. So we'll see how many of the teams from today crop up in that one. Um, that's the performance dealt with then. If we look at the individual players who stood out, Ibrahima Kanate wins man of the match. Um, Aware on his performance, Mark, and also... Who else in that Liverpool side today stood out for you? Because obviously they really had to sort of suffer a bit in, in the first half, but they um they start to show their quality a bit more in the second.
1: Yeah, well, to start with uh, Canati, Canati first, Dave, I mean, he's a top player. I think the thing is about Canati is just getting him to play two games a week. That's the, the biggest problem Liverpool have got. And I think if he's able to play two games a week, then Liverpool have got a really good opportunity in the Premier League because you look at Liverpool's sort of fixtures, lefty away games, they've got to come. You know, Liverpool are in an advantageous position and a great position, but you would fear if Canati could not play two games a week. Now, history tells you, and it's probably the biggest indicator of future sort of injury performance, that he's probably not going to. That's the worry, because you get into these sorts of situations where he's playing well, fantastic. Um, It'd actually be interesting to see if he'd have played today, actually, if Van Dijk was fit, because I probably would think that maybe he wouldn't have. because they obviously want to wrap him up in cotton wool, cotton wool especially with, with Matip obviously being on the, the injury list. But I, I, I'm a massive fan of Kanati. I mean, there's no question he's got that. You know, people talk about sort of centre-halves playing from back in the day. But the requirements of a centre-half now in, in, in modern-day football are just far far removed from what they used to be. And, you know, defending the halfway line, you know, dealing with space and in isolation, individual battles, the way he has to cover that sort of outside channel. Um and he, he's just a monster physically, really. He's got that great recovery pace. He seems to be growing, and he, I suppose he will grow in sort of leadership. I know that's hard to measure when you know you're, you're not in, on the field of play, but you do believe he's got all the attributes to be one of the very best. Because although he's not Van Dijk on the ball as well, you know he's useful on the ball as well. He's not a player who you target and think to yourself, do you know what? We'll give him the ball. You know he's, he can move forward with the ball. He can break the lines by actually travelling with the ball. So. Although not being elite technically, he's certainly a useful player in possession as well. And the most important thing, I suppose, is that sort of physical dominance and and the ability to be able to play high on the field. And I felt as well, I think, don't get me wrong, I don't think he covered himself in glory in the opening chance. I think it was with Luis Nelson, was it? Um, That little run in between Alexander-Arnold and Canati, sort of that out-to-win run. I felt that sometimes, the only thing I would say about Canati is he sometimes feels that he can rely on his pace a little bit more. I watch him sometimes and it's almost like he doesn't get into that sort of full acceleration. It's a bit fan Van Dyke like at times in terms of judging distance. Sometimes he judges distance fantastically and then other times I just think to myself, just get into that sort of little bit of acceleration a bit earlier. But no, really top player and I felt quite, quite deservably man of the match today. And I, I think you're right to point out the tackle actually because I don't think it got brought up in comments today, but it was a fantastic tackle. I mean, that's a goal-saving intervention. I think it was from the Gomez one, wasn't it? Um where he actually give it away, but no um really fantastic and and I wanted to to point out I feel like we talk about him every single week, Dave, which is the the sort of the you know probably boring bit, but I wanted to point out Darwin Nunes because he is the difference between Liverpool getting chances in the final phase and not getting chances, and also moving Liverpool, as I mentioned before, up the field, so much good work and like I've mentioned previously, if he starts just taking 50% of them opportunities that he's getting in into the areas for, and I know it's frustrating at the moment because he's not quite having that end product, but in terms of sort of attacking and volume and what he offers to the team and the fret he carries, he's just a massive plus for Liverpool. And we've seen it again today, a quick shifting system, putting him in the wide area. And for me, it was the change that won the game, but it won't get mentioned because, you know, we again missed, missed some, some opportunities. But he was the individual who allowed Liverpool the platform to be able to create the opportunities alongside some others, I might say. For Diogo Jota had a great sort of cameo off the bench as well, in making the ball stick and allowing players to be brought into the game in the final third with better decision making. But yeah, um, Darwin Nunes, again, I'd say, because. I mentioned before, you know, with Ben Benfica, I think he was in the, the in his final season, at Benfica, I think he outperformed his XG, one of the best in Europe. I think he was in the, the top five or something like that. Since he's came to Liverpool, it hasn't been the case, obviously. We know that. He just needs to get to that halfway stage because he's got so much else that he does right for the team. And the drop-off in what Liverpool can create when he's on the field compared to when he's off the field is huge. So I think sometimes, rather than look, just looking at the outcome bias of has he put the ball in the back of the net... Let's look at what he is doing in his all round game, which I think is far removed from what we've seen when he first he first arrived. Even then he was generating opportunities and chances for others. But you really gets, you know, in, in terms of being Liverpool be, being able to evade pressure, create chances and, and basically being a better attacking force with him on the field. And I think we've seen that again today.
0: Yeah, I think obviously a mixed bag um in terms of, you know, maybe a couple of moments of front of goal. I think obviously the wire on was probably when the Jota one, I think Jota hits the crossbar and then it lands to Nunez and he sort of sticks it wide. But um, at half time they said, uh, I think they said to Martin Keown, um, "What can Liverpool do to improve?" And then you know Keown said something like, "Nunez needs to do more." And I was sat there thinking, you know, he, how how can you possibly you know have a go at the striker in that scenario when Liverpool have barely been in the opposition half. And Lineker, you know, rightly pointed out to, you know, what's he supposed to do when he's got no service? And I suppose that is an insight into the amount of scrutiny that he is under. And Even if interesting... in he
1: played well, he played well on the yeah. limited, limited scraps. Yeah. He was the only one looking to, to threaten.
0: And, you know, there was a couple of good moments of, you know, defensive work, holder play, things like that. And he was probably, like you say, one of the more positive players in that first half. And, you know, you mentioned there, you know, taking 50% of the chance or anything like that. And we have to remember about XG and comparing it is as far as I know, XG is determined to sort of be the the benchmark for like an average, an average footballer in a scenario. So he doesn't have to, you know, overperform it. You know, he he gets he accumulates it so much that if he simply matches it, then you're looking at someone who's gonna have an elite level output, really. You don't need him to be like a ruthless finish or anything like that. And that is the thing that is a little bit frustrating. Um and I suppose, you know. In your camp market, it's a little bit like, you know, he does still, the impact that he makes on the team overall makes it worthwhile as well.
1: I think Liverpool are just simply a better team with him in the team, Dave. Mm-hmm. The numbers tell you that. And yeah. even when he isn't scoring goals, which we know he hasn't been to the rate we would like, like you quite rightly point out about, you know, measured in against an average striker. If you look at the rest of his actions, he's in norm- normally the 90th percentile for every attack and a- aspect of, of the game. So, even when he's not scoring goals, what he's actually doing to benefit the rest and actually create... I mean, I, I even think in terms of expected assists or chances created, he's massively right up there in terms of what he does. And that's not to say, you know, the the height that he gives the team and the, 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 the allowing obviously the opposition to have to then drop off and create space for others. So, yeah, sometimes when you're having a conversation with people about these things, it's just about, oh, uh, well, you know, he looks untidy in front of goal. Aesthetically, he's not scoring enough goals. There's far more to it than that. And I'm I'm a big believer that, you know, if Liverpool to go on and win the league, yeah, I agree, he's got to improve his output between now and the end of the season. But Liverpool have got a better chance of win, winning the league with him in the side than, than without Without, it's a shadow of a doubt from me.
0: Yeah, I think I'm I've lost a bit of patience on the um, mission side of things. And, you know, for example, that moment where he was running through in a 2v1 situation. And he had Diaz with him and obviously plays the pass behind him. You just it's frustrating to be in a position where when you see your striker bearing down towards the opposition goal like that, you don't necessarily have too much confidence that Liverpool are actually going to score from it. But having said that, I do agree with you that Liverpool look like a more threatening team when he's on the pitch. And I suppose the thing that you always think to yourself is, you know, what what is it going to do to Liverpool's chances if he's if he's doing all of that but scoring it, what would only be? an average rate, really, and I think he is, you know, ever since he joined, and and this isn't obviously the most important point at all, but he is one of the most sort of intriguing footballers honestly, in terms of the layers that are, like with the debate around him and things like that, and I do think at at the moment, it's sort of reached a bit of a height with you know, I think he's only scored one goal since the end of October, but like you say, Mark, there is obviously an impact there, which maybe we'll only be able to fully appreciate at the end of the season, if we'll do go on and achieve success. In terms of other footballers um, on the pitch today who um, were impressive, um, Connor Bradley, I thought when he came on, was really good. He only played sort of 15 minutes, but did absolutely everything right. Klopp made the kind of subs there with uh, Bradley and Clark coming on that you'd expect a manager to make when they were 3-0 up. I don't know if it was um, pre-prepared or anything like that, but I think Bradley in particular did really well. And I also thought, whilst not being maybe an absolute standout, for Kwanzaa to kind of hold his own in that game. I think he had some really good moments of front foot defending as well. You know, the, the way he held his own against one of the best teams in Europe in, in a very, very intense game um, is further encouragement about him as well. And um, he's definitely got a big part to play. If Liverpool aren't to sign a centre-back, he'll have a big part to play for the rest of the season. Obviously, we talked a little bit about the attack already, Mark. I mean, this was the first glimpse really in a, in a significant match this season or in a significant test Liverpool have had without Salah, he's obviously always available um, and for me in the first half it, it was hard to sort of talk too much about missing him or anything like that because there simply hadn't been any service to the front line. I think there were a few moments in the second half where Liverpool lacked conviction and quality in their final pass they looked a little bit hesitant and so maybe that is the kind of scenario where you do need Salah but then obviously At the end of the game, you get an absolutely world-class finish from Diaz to rifle the ball into the roof of the net. So it was definitely um, mixed in terms of how the attackers did in the absence of Salah. And obviously we saw them shuffle around a couple of times within the game as well. How did you read that offensive performance without the player who's obviously so central, not only in terms of scoring goals, but creating chances too?
1: Yeah, um, it's not very often that people have to play without him, which is probably one of the biggest problems that they've got really. I think, was it in the cup tie against West Ham? Elliot, Avi Elliott played there, I think. And um, Elliott would be my first choice for the role for Liverpool because he is, listen, he can't replicate exactly. Obviously, he hasn't got that sort of instinct to be able to run him behind. And let's be honest, he hasn't got the athleticism either, really, to run him behind. But I think he's a fantastic footballer, Elliot. And even today, I felt there were some really, really good passes that he played, which ultimately the, the receiver of the ball didn't end up um, doing anything within the second half. But Elliot's the most stylistically um, close to, to Solar, obviously, because he can then come in on that left foot, different kinds of player. He's more likely to be finding moving targets. However, saying that, you know, when you look at sort of how Solar's games changed over the last sort of few years, he is, apart from Alexander Arnold, probably Liverpool's most creative player on the ball as well. At sort of finding Nunes and finding a moving target. So I think Elliot would be stylistically the best fit. I think for this particular game, because Liverpool was struggling to build up in midfield and because of the personnel they had, it made sense to play Luis Diaz on that side in the second half and and bring Elliot inside. But I would be surprised if it wasn't Elliot as the the first pick in that sort of role. And the reason I say that is because I I didn't think Luis Diaz did bad, to be honest, in the second half. I think he did okay on the right-hand side. But you can see it's not a natural position for him. If you look at sort of Luis Diaz, Darwin, Nunes, they're very one-footed in the way they, they, they sort of play. It's not often that you're going to see sort of Diaz opening up and coming on that left-hand side. Now, Jota's a bit different. Jota can obviously strike off both feet. But when people talk about people being both-footed in that sense, he's a striker of the ball off both feet. And he can travel to some extent. But he's a right-footed player as well. So any you know sort of player who's going to play there is going to be a bit of a Around pegging a square role, and I think sort of the, the the combinations and the sort of patterns that Liverpool play in that final phase, I, I'd be more inclined to put Elliot in that position. But I do think, dependent on the opposition, dependent on the, who the fullbacks are, dependent on how Liverpool potentially may struggle to build up and what different aspects they need, that will have to be have to be tweaked because obviously Elliott can't play all the games. But I think if Elliot isn't going to play there, I think probably we've seen today that it would be. Louis Diaz. Interestingly, Dave, I don't know about you, I actually thought Gakpo might play there at the start of the game because of late, he's actually played some cameo roles, sort of that inside right or that high sort of left position at times. And I think Gakpo for me at the moment is just the one player that I almost think Klopp's trying to sort of shoe on him into the side at the moment in any position he can sort of fit him into. And the bottom line for me is, with Liverpool, you know, the margins being so fine... I think he's either good enough to play either on the left-hand side or as the as the central player, or as a filling on the right, or he's not good enough to play at all. Don't sort of shoe on him into different positions in midfield, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so yeah, my sort of first pick would be Elliot in that position, Dave. Despite Liverpool being better today when the change was made, I don't know what you what sort of your thoughts are on that.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it's obviously difficult because you know you're sacrificing um, a bit of firepower that might be there, but I do think you obviously want to balance too. And one of my big concerns going into this month has been how much is it going to affect Liverpool in terms of the fluidity and, you know, the patterns of play and things like that, um, which obviously disrupted quite significantly by having Salah come out the side. Um, and a lot, obviously all the focus is on goal scoring. And, and fair enough, Salah's got twice the amount of goals as, as the next best person in, in Jota in, in the squad at the moment. But there was also a concern about creativity. I think only Bruno Fernandes has assisted the biggest share of his team's overall XG than Salah this season. So that'll be something to keep an eye on as well. Um, And maybe that is somewhere where someone like Elliot could be a big help in terms of maybe creating the chance as opposed to, you know, he's not necessarily going to be prolific in this period as well. So, and the one thing I'd say on Gakpo, and it's not really relevant to this discussion, but it's something that I do have to admit watching him, you know, I I do, I'm a big fan of Gakpo. And I think when, when he's on it, he's one of the best you know players to watch in the Liverpool team. But I just feel like he, he needs to add a bit of, you know, upper body strength, honestly. You know, the amount of times he's losing out in 50-50 battles. And I don't know if, you know, I don't I don't watch um the Dutch league and maybe this is an ignorant thing, but I don't know if, you know, the greater athleticism in the Premier League is just maybe a little bit much for him at times. Because, you know, there are times when he absorbs contact quite well, but there's other occasions where he's just getting barged off it too easily. And I think if there's anybody who would benefit from sort of coming back um, at the at the start of pre-season next year in sort of much more robust shape, it would be him. And I do think that would, certainly in terms of dropping into those midfield positions and being able to sort of hold his own in there, if that is to be his role on the side, I think that would actually benefit him a lot, as much as it does sound on the surface. Like, obviously, quite a simple analysis to make. But, um, yeah, and I, I do take your points as well. It can't be easy for a player who's, you know, getting shifted you know, all about the team and can't necessarily, um, hold us you know, get a run of games together in a specific area. But I suppose that might just be the nature of of how Klopp seasons. To be honest, It's just a bit of a jack of all trades in the front line, and whether that's the best for him, I don't know. But Klopp maybe sees it as the best bet for the the side as a whole. Really, um, I think with
1: it, Dave. Sorry to interrupt. I just think with Gakpo, I think it's obvious that his positions on the left hand side were from free. Mm. I mean, I know. Sort of Klopp's tried to shoe on him into the Firmino position, and to be fair, I'm a fan of him as well. and I think he's got to, his receiving skills are fantastic at times, a bit like Gravenberch, but I, obviously, he isn't going to play that central role. That's apparent because he doesn't offer enough in terms of a goal threat. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but I obviously knew Darwin Nunes would be your first pick there, and then Diogo Jota, I feel just because of the areas he gets himself into, and the you know, the, the ultimately the difference he can make in the outcome of matches means that he's not going to play down the middle of the pitch. Now, Klopp, I don't think is hard. I know he played there at Burnley slightly, but I don't think he sees him at all as a wide player. I just don't believe that he thinks he's got the sort of athleticism, that acceleration to be able to cause separation with a fullback. So, therefore, that's he's just getting carted around in different roles. But as the season goes on, it'll be interesting if he's used as frequently when the big games come around. Because, like today, you're looking at it today and you're thinking, OK, he's got Gravenberg on the bench today. But he is a real player, whereas Gakpo isn't. Gakpo's starting the game. I don't know the sort of the fitness around Gravenberg at the moment, at this moment in time. But he's the only player for me who I think Klopp just doesn't know what to do. He knows he's a really good player in terms of wanting to give him minutes, but I don't know what his long term role is at Liverpool. I just don't know under Klopp at this moment in time. I don't know what you think, but that's how I.
0: Well, obviously when he was playing for PSV, he was putting up brilliant um goal scorer numbers from the left. You know, maybe hasn't shown the chance uh, or, or the other the potential to be that prolific at Liverpool. But um you just wonder if there's sort of a drawback to his game in each area that's holding him back. You know, he maybe isn't as dynamic as, as Diaz on the left and like you say doesn't have um the end product that, that someone like Nunez could potentially have. Through the middle and then obviously right wing isn't necessarily his ideal area so I do wonder if that is something that lends itself to the kind of role he's in at the moment where he's not maybe nailing down one specific slot Um but you know I do think that with Gakpo, he's, he's already shown especially last season uh, you know a decent amount of tactical intelligence there and that you know bodes well and I, I do think that Klopp will show quite a lot of patience with him and really try to mould him into the kind of player that he wants to be and I, I do think that He's only been here a year. You know, we've got to remember he joined halfway through last season um, and it'll potentially be a long-term process for getting the best out of him. So, I'm not, I'm not really too worried about him. And he does remain, like I say, when he's at his best. Um, one of my favourite players within this side. And one thing I want to just touch on very quickly before we finish, Mark. You know, Liverpool were today up against, albeit in a different competition, one of their rivals to win the Premier League in Arsenal. There's a big discussion at the moment about whether they need a new number nine. I've got the list of their top scorers up here. You know, Saka's the top with nine, which is a decent tally, but, you know, we're up past the halfway point of the season. Now, nobody into double figures in all competitions. After that, you've got Jesus and Odegaard, um, who are level on seven, you know, a midfielder in there, obviously. Trossard um, Sargent, doesn't even start every game, is next on six. And then you've got Havertz, Martinelli, five and four. You know, th- there's been a very limited output you'd have to say, from there forwards for a team who wants to go for the league. So what do you think today taught us about Arsenal, Liverpool second meeting with them um, in the space of a few weeks and, you know, they're a title rival as well. So it was a significant game from that standpoint too.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest with you, Dave, I was confident a couple of weeks ago that Arsenal were going to win the league. I just felt they were the best balanced team. I think they were conceding something like 13 touches in their own area. And, you know, basically given the opposition not, and then you felt that even though they weren't prolific, they had enough sort of territorial dominance to be able to to win the vast majority of games. They've obviously had a fall-off in the last couple of weeks where any chances the opposition seems to create seems to be going in the back of the net. And also they don't seem to be finding, finding the finish either. I mentioned before, Havertz for me is a centre-forward who plays with his back-to-goal. The problem with Havertz is he's in the sort of Firmino mould where you're never going to get the the, the output from and the majority of the season he's been actually playing in midfield as well. So I think you can win the league with a Javier Firmino type player in your team, because obviously Liverpool have, but the difference with Liverpool is Liverpool had, you know, wide players who were absolute elite wide players, and they were making up the numbers. I think Arsenal's wide players are are super wide players, great technique, great ability in, in sort of isolated situations in combinations that kind of thing I think they're really really threatening players but they're not killers like Liverpool are they're not players who make them sort of runs from out to in more sort of wide wide um, wide forwards like Salah Mane where and I think if you have got a centre forward like that they're the sort of numbers you need to put up from them areas really and I think Gabriel Jesus is a super player Super all-round footballer and always plays well against Liverpool as well. So I was I was quite happy that he, he didn't play today. And as a footballer, I think he a lot like Darwin Nunes brings so much into the game in terms of bringing others in and and that kind of thing. But yeah, they aren't being able to finish at this moment in time or get the numbers in the final phase and and ultimately it might may hinder them. I suppose I suppose the big thing for me though is Arsenal nearly won the league last season. I mean, let's be honest, they only didn't win the league because of they had some bad games right at the end of the season. But they nearly won the league with that front line. So I feel that they've got the capability to do so. I feel that if they keep the organisation of the team the way it had been the previous weeks and were continuing to deny the opposition in the manner they were, plus obviously being able to take more of the chances then then yeah, I could see them win the league as it stands at this moment in time. They look like they've lost a bit of confidence, and then, obviously, the eyes come to the numbers in terms of the forward line, and I think they've been mentioning about, like, potentially, I've seen Miguel Delaney was talking about, um, maybe, potentially a bid for Ivan Tony. you know, he, he's coming in mid-season, he's missed a lot of football, Dave, hasn't he? I mean, how old is he as well? Is he 28 years old? I mean, don't get me wrong, he had a fantastic season at Brentford last year, and, you know, looked an absolute top, top player, by the way, not just a goal scorer, but is that really better than what Gabriel Jesus can bring you? But, but also coming in mid-season as well? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. I think Arsenal have got good players in the final third, to be honest.
0: Yeah, Tony, I just looked it up then, Um is 27, but he will be 28 in March. So it would feel like a bit of a, a short-term type move. And is that maybe the kind of thing Arsenal will do? I do think they will. I could see them doing some business and I could see it being a number nine this month. They've been very aggressive in the transfer markers as they kind of try and win this first Premier League with Arteta. Um, obviously, going for the Champions League as well. So, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me, to be honest. And if it isn't to be this January, I could see them going big on one of the options in Europe, whether that's someone like Victor Osaman or, or somebody else. We'll um, obviously keep an eye on that from the Liverpool standpoint. But, you know, just to look at Arsenal, I mean, You you make a fair point in terms of they got close last season. No one really said that it was a lack of firepower that cost them last year. But this year, I mean, it is a valid narrative. I think they've scored 37 goals in 20 matches. I mean, that's a pretty good sample size. And that's 1.85 per game, which gives you 70 at the end of the season. I mean, that's not enough to win the Premier League. I don't know how far you'd have to go back for the last time a team won the league scoring that few goals. So I, I do just wonder if... It's going to be the kind of thing that, especially against Liverpool and City, you know, maybe in a weaker Premier League, they could have gotten away with it. But if City kind of step up to their, something like their previous levels, as Liverpool can kind of rise towards that as well. I just don't know if the the kind of fine margins are going to go against them in that regard.
1: I just don't think they're playing as well as last season, as well, Dave. Are you know mentioned about Chaka before and sort of the balance of sort of that attacking unit of the team. I don't think they've been as fluent. Without me looking at the numbers, I'd be surprised if they've created the same amount of chances as well. And I think as much as they've been more, maybe more controlled and conceding less, I think that's probably come as a hindrance to the, the sort of top end of the pitch. I just thought of something else then as well, because when we were talking about, obviously last season, Gabriel Jesus didn't play for a long time as well. Mm-hmm. And, and Ketty had actually played and did really well for them as well. So I think maybe it's a collective sort of faith the final third in terms of creation, rather than maybe you know bringing Ivan Sony in mid-season and making the difference. Maybe it's a collective in terms of creating more. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think with Arsenal, they they kind of gave you this impression that they were almost going to be a little bit Atletico Madrid, like a one point in the season where they weren't going to have too much kind of yeah, you know, you know, too, too,
1: about without the attacking, yeah,
0: yeah, like too many. There weren't going to be too many fireworks or anything like that, but they were going to be so solid defensively, and they were going to have the one or two moments they needed to to win games. And there might be a lot of one nil wins and things like that. Um, but I suppose the problem with that kind of balance in a team is when, like you mentioned, when you do start to concede the opportunities, um, even if there aren't maybe a huge amount in a game. Probably West Ham's a good example of that. You know, when when they start to to go in. If you're misfiring and going forward, I mean, those that's the kind of thing that can just cost you games over the course of a season and just catch up with you by the end. And it, it does feel like when you've you know the times that I've watched them this season, you you never sort of completely blown away by them. They've more looked just quite efficient, and whether they do just have that firepower, because you know, a lot of the times in seasons there's, there's these narratives around teams why they can't win the league, why they can't achieve their goals, and they end up being quite simplified things like that. I think in this particular case. The idea that arsenal maybe don't have the personnel i think the liverpool comparison is a perfect one in terms of they go for more of a false nine mold to the middle but they don't have a salah and Marne combination I, I do think it's it's valid and we'll see what happens this month incidentally our last episode was about um the january transfer and obviously in addition to looking at liverpool and what they might need to do we had a look at arsenal and man city as well and whether they need to make any additions this month so go back and um listen to that if you're interested we'll leave it there for today's episode Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do give us a five-star review. We've got our email address and mine and Mark's Twitter linked in the episode description as well, so you can have a look at those and get in touch with us if you'd like. And remember to press the notification button and follow the podcast as well uh, for all the updates on future episodes, the next of which will be about the Carabao Cup semi-final fair stack against Fulham. That's due to take place on Wednesday night, so make sure you join us for that one. But until then, take care.